Um, hi, everybody. I'm Susan. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Susan. And um, thank you, Jack, for asking me to come here. And welcome to the newcomer. Um, I stood up at, as a newcomer at this meeting 33 years ago, over 33 years ago. And um, no matter where this meeting is, it's always got a special place in my heart. It was my home meeting for a very, very long time. Um, and then I had a child who's actually, where is he sitting? Oh, okay, great. He's sitting under the table. It's exactly where he wants to be at a meeting. And um, he's got headphones in, don't worry. Um, so, uh, I think I'll be talking to you a lot, but everybody's going to listen. And, um, yeah, so, uh, let's see. So, something happened this morning right here in this room that kind of, brought me back many years. When I was um, six, I started getting made fun of for my size. And um, I got made fun of by kids, by adults. I just got made fun of. And um, so what I learned to do was hide my body. And by that I mean if we were all outside, I'd stand in back of the garbage can, very social, and so people could only see my head. So they wouldn't be reminded of who I was and, and names like that. And um, my cousin Sandy had a boyfriend, uh, Larry, and he was one of the people who called me names. And I hated him, of course. I hated him. And, um, and they became, yes, they became engaged. So one day the family is all a flutter. What's going on? What's going on? Sandy broke up with Larry, and everybody is so upset about this. And I'm going, yippee, I never have to see that man ever again. So um, I still stand behind things, though. It's kind of funny that way, but I still do. Uh, and, um, and that's where I'm going to stay. So, uh, yes, so I started eating at a very young age and was obsessed with food at a very young age. Uh, my first conscious thought about um, food and being upset. I was four years old. And um, it's funny because this, what happened then, I can tell you, it's not even important, but I know exactly that moment it happened. And, um, and boy, it just stayed with me. I was put on my first diet when I was 10. Um, I thought about food all the time, really. Um, where to eat, how to eat, where is I going to get it, what are they having for lunch today in the cafeteria. I'm very obsessed with that. Um, I was the only one who really loved lunch in the cafeteria. They, they made up this thing called Johnny Marzetti that they made up there. And it was like shells and beef. and You know, it's like kind of spaghetti and meatballs, but just with different pasta. And um, everybody made fun of it, and everybody hated it. And while they're making fun of it and hating it, I'm just like eating it and scraping the plate. Um, I love food. Uh, I also, after that first diet, um, basically thought about dieting just about every day of my life, till I uh, probably till I got abstinent, not not until I came here. So. Um, Yes, and I wondered, I have friends who, are, who were thin, and I wondered how they did it, because I would watch them eat, and they all ate more than I did. Um, 
But of course, that was in public that they all ate more than I did. Uh, because at home, I, uh, I did my eating at home and in private. Um, in second grade, there was this kid, Frankie Stetler. He went home for lunch. I lived in this farming town. And he went home for lunch. And, um, but he passed the 7-Eleven on the way home. So one day I said, Frankie, could you stop at the store? I'm going to give you, here's my dime. Could you buy uh, Hostess Snowballs for me? I'd never tasted them before, but they looked beautiful, white and pink, right? And so he did that, and I ate that at school, and I thought, this is great. So I started stealing money from my mother's wallet, and my father would leave change on, the, on his dresser. So I did that every day, and, you know, it's like Frankie was my little uh, dealer, really. <laughs> I gave him money. He brought, he brought me back the goods, right? And um, unfortunately, what happened is, so other kids caught on to this, and it was causing him so much anxiety, he's seven, that his mother called the teacher and said, no more. We're not doing that anymore. It was a sad day for me. It was a very sad day. But then, when I got older, and we moved to a different town, and it was like a small city, so it was a small urban area outside of New York. And um, so, you know, there are sidewalks. There's a market within walking distance of us. And every day after school, I'd say to my mother, need anything at the market? And um, she did many days so I would scurry to the market and pick out whatever I wanted you know the change and then you know shove it in my mouth the two blocks that it took to walk home and um, you know I just made sure I had food is really the bottom line but I needed it and I made sure I had it and you know we do crazy things to get our food to, you know to get my fix but I needed it I really did I don't think I think I would have died of loneliness as a kid if, uh, if I didn't have food. Um, I had nobody to trust. Uh, I just didn't. I had been betrayed by a lot of adults <clears throat> in my life. And so I didn't trust anybody. And I learned to not be vulnerable with anybody also. Not even friends or whatever. Um, I was very self-conscious very self-conscious, first of all, what I looked like. And, um, you know, I just thought, honestly, the world revolved around me and everybody was looking at me and they were either mad at me or whatever. But it was a very lonely life. It was very lonely. And food saved me. I'm sure of it. It just did. It gave me comfort. I can tell you when I would take the first bite of anything, there was an audible, ah, that came out of my mouth. Because it just you know, had that uh, effect on me. So, um, that was childhood. I wouldn't want to go back there, but, um, yeah, got me where I am today. So, um, let's see. So, <laughs> high, school, high school was great, you know, but I still was eating. That was where we got Johnny Marzetti. And, um, you know, I had a lot of friends. I was popular. Um, and I always thought somebody was going to tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, we know who you are. We know who you really are. So um, you should get out of here. Because when I was a kid, the only uh, nickname that I had from my parents was Miserable Rotten Being. So 
I thought everybody knew that's what I was. It's kind of crazy. You would think that would be reserved for like a juvenile delinquent or something. Not a good girl like me, but that's what I was called. So, um, yeah, my son the other day, who's sitting under a table, uh, he said, you know, Mom, I'm bored. And the first thing that came into my mind was when I said that to my mother, she would say, you're bored, go bang your head against the wall. (laughs) You heard it too? Wow. Uh, Crazy. Yeah. I've never said that to him. That's probably my proudest moment as a mother. (laughs) And I've never called him a miserable, rotten being either. So, because he's not. Um, So, uh, and you know, when college was kind of like that too, you know, just trying to find food, people complaining about the food in the cafeteria and meet first in line at 4.30 when they started because God forbid they would run out. And, um, and I started stealing food from my friends um, because, once again, you know, it's really, it's really difficult sometimes when you have thin friends who just eat. They can eat, you know. Um, the other day, I had lunch with a friend, and by the time I got to the table, I was on time. She was on her second roll, and um, I got this thing that it had a big mound of mashed potatoes on it, and she got a salad. I said, want my mashed potatoes? Yes. Swap <laughs> them over on her thing. And then she had dessert as well. And I thought, you know, life is unfair. It's just unfair. Some people have this kind of metabolism, and some don't. And... Um, this is, this is mine, my lot, but, um, but it's okay. And it's okay because I have overused anonymous now. That's why it's okay. Because I have found a solution to my, uh, my as they say here, my problem with food. Um, I started being bulimic when I was, uh, oh, it was after college. I was living in New York. And um, one of my roommates said, I have discovered how to eat whatever I want and not gain weight. So, uh, you know, what, what is it? What is it? You know, she said, well, uh, after I eat, I make myself throw up. So this was in the early 70s. There was no bulimia or anorexia or anything like that in the culture. There was nothing like that. So I thought she was brilliant, you know, and um, I did. And uh, I'm one of those people who can purge very easily. I know some people are very um, squeamish about it, but I could. And uh, that became my life for uh, a number of years. And um, after I moved out here, I was married, and we moved out here um, and uh, a couple of years later, we, we split up, and I had lost weight, really, for the first time in my life. Kind of, honestly, I wasn't eating. And, um, and that didn't last very long. It lasted about two weeks, actually. And then I started eating a lot again, and, you know, make up for lost time. And then I had the conscious thought, whenever I eat, I'm going to throw it up. That was my solution. It seemed perfectly rational to me at the time. Nobody was saying there's anything wrong with it. So I started doing that. So really what became like a twice a year thing in New York, which I could have lived with, honestly, if I was going to do it twice a year, that would be fine with me. But in the next like seven years, it progressed to like ten times a day. And um, that's what they tell us 
in the big book about our disease. Is it is progressive. And um, I'll tell you, I think today, because it's still progressing somewhere, um, if I somehow, God forbid, broke my accident, God forbid, um, my disease would, would be up and kicking. I mean, I would be back to eating cakes and big, you know, lots of things like that. Um, so I was a kind of a prisoner of, of my house um, because I had to do that all the time. I'm not one of these people who would do it in uh, public places and eat in public places. Why would I do that in public places? And um, for me, after, uh, let me see. Okay. What time do I stop? Okay. Oh, okay. okay. So, um, for me, a good time when I was separate, when we got divorced, a good time for me would consist of me going to the most expensive market around in my neighborhood and going up and down every aisle and just picking out anything I wanted, even a bite of. That was going in my basket. And that, to me, was self-care. That's what I thought it was, you know? Just none of these words were around then. And I thought, oh, I'm taking such good care of myself. So, um, and I need so much that I couldn't stand up straight. So, that's where uh, my disease has taken me. Um, And still gaining weight. I don't know why, but still gaining weight. So, um, very failed bulimic. So, I did that, though, for about... um, 15 years in total and, and actually stopped before I came here so um, I don't really I don't identify as a bulimic when I stand up here because when I got here I wasn't doing it I was just binging all the time so um, two things got me here one my friend Gary who actually I say this every time who named this this meeting the kitchen sink um he came here and he lost 100 pounds and as far as I could see he never gained it back and even one day we had lunch and um, he actually had a roll with butter at lunch and I thought he's eating like a normal person you know you never eat bread and butter in front of anybody you know Um, so uh, that was always in the back of my mind and then um, this other woman that I had known uh who, who wasn't in a way, but she was somebody I didn't like. She bragged about who she was all the time and how much money she had and all this stuff. And um, I met her, I re-met her about eight years. I hadn't seen her for about eight years. I met her at a, a wedding shower. And this woman was like, you know, a vision in white with like a rainbow over her head. She was so different and so lovely. <laughs> she was so nice. And um, and uh, when when lunch was over, uh, and uh, somebody said, "Would you like some tea?" and she said, "Do you have any herbal tea?" I'd never heard of herbal tea at that point, and um, and that's what she wanted. And I knew something was different. And I got her phone number, and um, I called her up, and basically said to her, uh, "You have what I want," is what I said to her, and. Um, Turns out she had been sober in AA for about six years. So, um, so that Thursday I started going to OA. Um, I should say this: I came here three years before. It took. I went to five meetings in five days. 
I read the big book. I read it all in one night. It made me so uncomfortable. All the God stuff and providence and creator and he and father. It made me so uncomfortable that I took the book and I threw it out. And that was the end of my OA experience then. And then, you know what? I just got more and more desperate. That's really what happened. Um, just, you know, we say we get the gift of desperation. And it's really true because nobody skips into these rooms. I'll tell you, we come in on bloodied knees. And um, I haven't seen anybody skip in, I should say that. Um, but we get the gift of desperation. And for me, what that meant was I was willing to do anything. I was really willing to read a book that talked about God and Creator and Providence and Father and He. I had no choice. I couldn't stop eating. I could not stop eating. I would go to a restaurant and look at a menu and go, what do I eat? What? I don't even know what, what's going on here. My head was crazy by that time. Crazy. Um, in other areas as well, but food was always the, the thing that stayed with me my whole life. So I came. I came here, and um, yes, I thought it was odd. I thought the meetings were odd. I was listening definitely in a different way. And the first speaker that I heard, um, she, didn't have an, she didn't have weight to lose. She lost like 10 pounds or something. And I was a size 18 at that time, just so you know. Um, but she talked about this being a disease. And my, my little ears perked up, you know. And I thought, a disease? I've never thought of it like that. Um, thank you. Uh, but what that meant to me was, it's not my fault. You know, I'm not a pig. I'm not a glutton. All the other various names I called myself. It's not my fault. But somehow, I don't know how I got this. I, and then my next thought was, and now I can do something about it. You know, I don't know why I thought so sophisticated, but sophisticatedly, but I did. Um, so uh, that's what I thought. And then somebody said to me after the meeting, are you coming tomorrow? <laughs> I thought, tomorrow? I'm coming back next Thursday, you know. <laughs> Who knew? This is the strangest place I've ever been, you know. And um, I found myself there the next day, you know. Also at the, at the log cabin, they had uh, meetings there every day during the day when I came in. Um, so I came back. And I started listening, and I started listening, and like my life depended on it. Little did I know it did. And um, I take little notes. I'd write down these little pithy expressions I would hear. Um, it's funny because I still do that. Uh, but a lot of them turned out to be slogans. <laughs> you know, keep it simple. I have that written down somewhere and things like that. One day at a time, I thought it was kind of brilliant from some person. So. So something happened in the beginning um, that really brought me back to, it's just a little anecdote, but it, it's so who I was, really who I was. So it's, the meeting is over, and um, I wanted to ask the secretary something. So I went over to ask, to ask her, but she was talking to somebody else, so, you know, I just kind of waited. So this woman comes up to her, she's got the big book in her hand, and she said, you know, I'm a writer. And I'd be very happy to rewrite this book. <laughs> and I got scared. 
I got really scared that the secretary was going to yell at her and, you know, talk about the sanctity of the book, whatever. I was just like, and the secretary said, you know what? And she went to the front of the book. She said, here's AA World Service. They published the book, and I'm sure that they'd be happy to hear from you. That was it. You know, there was no must, no fuss. And that's what I've learned here is... There's no yelling. (laughs) There's no yelling here. There's no denigrating anybody here. You know, there's love. There's love here. That's what you get here. You get love. And you get love towards yourself. And you learn to love yourself. I learned to love myself somewhat. Um, Certainly more than I did. Not always. But when I do, it feels there's nothing like it. You know? And I have found that when I act lovingly to other people, it comes back to me. I have, uh, I feel good about myself. I feel good about my relationship with my higher power because this is not the way I am, you know, I am programmed to, to behave. Because um, I behave like I, I modeled what I heard when I was growing up. So, um, so I learned that here too. And I guess the most important thing I'll say about since this is an OA meeting is I've learned how to eat. And um, I eat three meals a day uh, and sometimes a snack if I need one. If, if it's going to be a long time between um, lunch and dinner, I'll have a snack. I used to think, though, that I would die. In the beginning, I thought I was going to die without eating something between lunch and dinner. I thought that was really... You know, that was really serious time for me. And look, I've survived all these years. It's kind of amazing. Um, I've learned how to eat. I've learned um, how to not be obsessed with food. It's kind of crazy, but not be obsessed. Um, I've learned that there are other things in the world to do besides be obsessed with food and eat. You know, it's a big world. And when I was in the... done. I'll just end with this. When I was in the midst of my bulimic years, I used to wonder, what are my friends doing? I would think of some friends. What are they doing today? It's Sunday. It's a beautiful day. I know they're doing something, and I'm in my house. And all I'm doing is running back and forth to get food. And, um, you know, I've learned that Sundays are a great day. Of course, I like Saturdays better, but Sunday's pretty good, you know. And... um, and it's all because here, my whole life, my whole attitude upon life has changed. And um, I'm very, very grateful. So keep coming back. Thank you. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Okay. Uh, we have to, uh, okay. Question. Yeah. Hi. Thank you so much for your lovely share. Um, I'm wondering if you have any daily practices, particularly like if you send your food or if you have a I have a lot of daily practices. Hopefully I get to some of them during the day. Um, so I, I've been doing the one thing for about, I think, 15 years now. This is going to sound really corny. 
I have a little book. It's called Memory Book. And it's for five years. And every day what you're supposed to do is write a little memory of the day. And um, I don't do that. I, uh, I was reading something one day, some outside reading. It's an old prayer. And it said, Oh, Lord, um, I give this day to do your will or something like that. And I liked it. I knew I was going to have to change it, but I liked it. And um, so I got to, God, I rise today to do your will. And um, I write that every morning when I get up in this little book. My book now, I'm on the last year. It's very exciting. I've got two other books that I've done. I've got my new one waiting for me. So I do that right away. Um, I have to take my son to school very early in the morning. He go, I live in Santa Monica, and he goes to school in uh, Encino. Or he's dyslexic, so uh, he goes to a fabulous school. But we have to get up very early. So um, I don't have a lot of time then. But what I do is, so I drop him off, and then there's this little road that I stop on, um, and I write a letter to God. And um, asking, you know, just uh, telling my higher power what I'm going to turn over every day. There's a lot. Um, Hopefully, when I get home, I have some time for meditation. Uh, I do a breathing meditation for ten minutes. That I'm not really great about. Um, I write down my food and um, it's on a, an app that the person who can see my who's, who's on that app also can see my food um, she never remarks on it and I, I never remark on anybody's food that they send me that's, I'm just being a, the, a witness that's all so, um, mm. and also I started doing these loops. You guys know what loops are, I assume, now, right? No? Okay. So, a loop is, so there's a book. There's like five people in the loop. And there's a book. We started with, uh, two years ago, with Voices of Recovery. And so, so there's a, like a leader of the loop who sends out the page of that day, the entry for that day. And then you write on your thoughts about it. And then you you send it out. You reply to all and send it out. And then everybody you get everybody else's reply, and they get your reply. And it's really great. Um, and there are only five people in each loop because you're not going to be sitting there reading a million replies to this thing. So um, this year, this is our third book, and we're starting with the big book. And um, and it's just amazing. Apparently, somewhere. Somebody made up questions, like they knew there was a loop or something. Somebody made up these amazing questions or whatever. And um, so we just started that. And that I love because it's a big book. And I love the big book. And uh, <clears throat> even with all the gods and hymns and creators. And, um, and I do that. And so those are my set practices during the day. I try to behave, this one sponsor once said this to me, I try to behave like a good representative of my higher power. Not always successful, but I try and do that. And, um, and I'm abstinent. What's the biggest practice of the day? I'm abstinent. So, um, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. And I write a 10-step every night. 
and I send that to somebody. I do a little, I do the AEIOUs thing. So, Michael. Good to see you. Um, so, if and when you get into fear, do you procrastinate? And if you still procrastinate, how do you use the program to deal with that? I am an excellent procrastinator. Excellent. Um, I, oh, I'm so sorry. Do I procrastinate because of fear? And how do I use the program to work through fear? Um, so by the time I get to realize that my reading every newspaper online that I can possibly get to, um, something's up. I know it. And um, usually I will call my sponsor. Right. I, I have a sponsor. Um, I've generally always had a sponsor. I, I've been, you know, like this is my um, third sponsor. My last sponsor I had for 27 years. And um, but she's moved and uh, and she has failing eyesight. So I had to find somebody new. And it's just kind of amazing that um, I go to this meeting on Monday mornings. And the first time I went there, this woman came in who. Oh, Yes, this woman came in, uh, who I've known my whole time here, haven't seen in a hundred years. Anyway, she's my sponsor. Um, I'll call my sponsor, and usually the direction will be to write. And I write about, um, you know, what would my higher power have me do? And uh, what's the fear? Break down the fear. And um, usually the fears are in the future, because right now at that moment, there's nothing wrong. I'm safe, I'm in a house, you know, nobody's attacking me, and um, nobody wants all my money, you know what I mean? Everything is okay. And getting in the moment, I would say, is the biggest thing about fear. That's what I do. It's responses to just stay in the moment, you know, and just keep staying in the moment if you have to do it. And then by the time, if something happens, usually (coughs) nothing happens. You know, funny thing about fear. It never comes to be. So, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Um, how did you get over the patriarchal God thing and come to your higher power? So, the question is, how did I get over the patriarchal uh, way the big book is written and get to a loving higher power? Um, I had the gift of desperation. I was willing to do anything, read anything, just get me out of this hell of compulsive eating. Just get me out of here. So I did. You know, and um, I call my higher power God. Sometimes I call my higher power, higher power. Um, And mine is, you know, doesn't have a a sex to it. So it's a, a being, I guess I would call it. Thank you. Anybody else? Oh, Tara. <laughs> what a terrible question. Can I talk about the difference between my first year and my, what, 30, my 30th year? Um, so here's something that happened to me in my first year. There used to be a big Saturday morning here called Maintainers Meeting, and um, a lot of people celebrated their birthdays there. I wasn't a, a regular at that meeting, but one day I went. And um, somebody there got like a 10 or a 15-year candle 
it might have been you. And, um, and he stood up there and he said, I have learned so much this year. It has just been an amazing year of growth for me. And I'm sitting in the back and my arms are crossed my chest and I think he's got 10 years didn't he read the book (laughs) that takes a year to read the book and I thought that's what happens here you read the book you do the steps you call your sponsor and you have it you know so today I know that's not true (laughs) and today um, I know that every day is an opportunity to grow and, um, and peel away the layers of the onion, as they say, and just have a new experience. So that's the difference. I'm not quite so judgmental as I was in the first year, you know. People would talk about doing an inventory, and I think, inventory? Uh, I haven't done anything wrong. You know, that was, that was it. But they want to talk about shame. Hmm, shame. No, nope, I don't have any shame. You know? <laughs> so needless to say, I've come a very long way. Very slow learner, but I, I, I've come a long way. Thank you. I saw another hand. Oh, Diane. Thank you very much. Could you talk about how in your busy life today you find time for yourself and how you sort of do the self-care that you need to do to maintain your program and your assets and your sanity? Okay, so the question is, how in my busy life today do I find time for me and um, uh, keep my sanity and just work my... Deal with your feelings in the moment. Okay, deal with my feelings in the moment. Okay, that's the question. So, um, I've learned... It's funny because I talk about this 10th step I do every night, so it's A-E-I-O-U, and there's an I... And it's about, what did I do for myself today, for I? What did I do for myself? And that has really made me start thinking about, what do I do for myself? You know, sometimes I take a nap. You know, I'm retired, so I should say that. I'm old and retired. So um, I can take a nap, you know, or I can read a book, or I can do things like that. Um, If the day is so busy that I don't have any time then I'm just in the moment, and uh, usually being that busy, it, I thrive on that kind of busyness, you know. So um, for me, that's really a great thing to get out of my head and you know think of other people and things like that. So um, so thinking about what I do to myself gives me a, you know something to think about, and actually. Looking at the small things that, uh, you know, like if I was going to get my nails done or something like that. That's for me. That's not for anybody else, you know. Um, And little things like that, you know, that are in my day. So I do, you know, I'm reminded that those are things that I do for myself, too. Yeah, hi. Hi. Um, Have you experienced with experience with relapsing? Okay. Um, so relapse. Um, what do I say about that? It took me five months here to get abstinent. And um, I, in that five months, I was collecting uh, days, and I had a bunch of 30-day chips, but um, something would happen, and i break my abstinence. Um, I asked somebody to be my sponsor once, and they said all sponsors please stand up. 
And so after the meeting, I asked her to be my sponsor, and she laughed at me. And she said, you can't ask somebody to be your sponsor just like that. They have to know you. You have to know them. I mean, she just... And I went home and I ate cookies. And I thought, I'm not coming back. I'm just not coming back at all. And then I was telling a friend that. And she said, you know, Susan, you've never stuck with anything in your life. So you should probably stick with this. So <laughs> it's the first thing I've stuck with in my life. Um, and, oh, being a mother, I don't give that away. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, so I had that experience. With slips... Um, this is my own very incendiary experience and opinion. Um, I think if one has a slip, they've lost their abstinence. So that's that's to me is, is the relapse, you know, because uh, people slip, they slip for a month, you know, slip for days, things like that. Um, uh, I've heard of somebody who just. Uh, Eight outside of their abstinence one time and had a lot of years and uh, I didn't know what to think about that and I still don't know what to think about that and I think because I love the person I'm uh, my opinion is jaded um, so I would say uh, without loving anybody objectively I, I don't believe in, I don't believe in. <coughs> Now that's quite a degree. Yes. Okay. Well, I, I certainly go to less meetings a week. I have two OA meetings that I go to every week, um, and those are my meetings. I'm actually missing my meeting right right now. Um, but that's okay. Um, so I do that. I sponsor. Um, I sponsor, uh, I would say a lot of people, but I don't remember all the people I sponsor because some of them just kind of disappear, you know. But I always sponsor, and um, uh, sponsoring is, is the greatest because, honestly, I learned how to be a mother by sponsoring by reacting with love to things and just not being shocked about what anybody says or refraining from opinions, you know. That's a lot of it, refraining from my opinion. Unless somebody asks my opinion, I don't give it. Not my business, you know. So that. Um, I still have commitments at meetings. I... Uh, I have been, I was involved in a big book workshop for about 10 years. I did that. Um, I uh, do something with Colleen uh, from the Valley. We do a, a body image workshop, and we do that all around Southern California. Whoever asks us, we go. And um, we're actually doing it at the birthday party this year for, I think, the fourth year. Um, so I stay involved, you know. I, I love OA. And um, if I can do service and give back, it's my my privilege to do that. And um, and so I really encourage everybody to do that. Oh, take, did I say take commitments at meetings? Okay. So um, so I'm involved. Um, I at one time was involved on the board. 
um, and uh, and that I probably went to more meetings in a week and stuff. But I also have a different life today. I'm married. I have a child. But those two meetings I I go to when I have I you know because I have that time on a Monday morning. He's at school. She's at work. It's my time. That's what I do for myself on Mondays. So, um, yeah. Oh, um, it's time. Okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you.